Welcome to Diner Talks with James. Slide into the booth and let's have conversations we never want to end with friends we never want to leave over food we probably shouldn't be eating. My friends, what is going on? Welcome to another episode of Diner Talks with James. I'm James, and I'm super pumped to be here with you all. My friends, slide into the diner booth. Make that awkward squeaking sound. Did somebody fart? Maybe. Doesn't matter, because we're in the diner together. Let's buckle up. Nice Crocs you're wearing. Glad you're cozy. I am pumped to be here with you. We have an amazing episode coming for you. I assume I do these introductions on the front end and then find out if what I said is true. But uh, I think this one is going to be quite special. We have amazing actor on the show Alessandra Torsani I don't know I'm I'm pretty fond of my Italian guests recently so I'm excited to have Alessandra Torsani she's coming here from the city of angels Los Angeles let me tell you about her she began studying dance and singing when she was two years old Take that. Get your 10,000 hours in, Malcolm Gladwell. At the age of eight, she landed a job doing interviews between cartoons on the WB network. She holds a black belt in Taekwondo, which is horrifying. Um, She's been on the WB. You've seen her on shows such as JAG, ER, War at Home, Malcolm in the Middle, Arrested Development, Terminator, CSI, Husbands, Big Bang Theory. She's been in movies. She's been on screens. She's been in your face, in your home. Tap, tap. Who's that behind you? It's Alessandra Torresani. She is an incredible human. And one of the reasons why we have connected is we met on Clubhouse, and I love the power and the candor and the vulnerability and the humor in which she talks about mental health, which you all know is a passion of mine. And she hosts a emotional support. Uh, it's literally called emotional support uh, with Alessandra Torresani, uh, a mental health podcast. Um, she is openly bipolar and we're going to discuss that. I'm super pumped to bring her out right now. Where you at my girl, Alessandra Torresani? How are you? First of all, I only wear Crocs, so I feel really comfortable <laughs> on this show. That's already the first intro. Secondly, I totally forgot some of the shows that I was on, so I really appreciate the intro because I'm like, oh, wait, I did that. That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm so excited to be here. Thanks, James. I'm so pumped that you're here, friend. I know that I, I mean, you have you have so many credits, and I know at some point you would feel uncomfortable if I read them all, so I hope it's okay that I gave an abbreviated list. Listen, I I forgot I did those shows, so, you know, I mean, that was like a fun reminder. That's a, it's a great way for me to go back to YouTube and see some embarrassing moments. Yes, let's go, let's go. Uh, that's, that's amazing. Uh, and you've been on some of my favorite shows as well, Arrested Development. Development. Malcolm in the middle that got me through some tough times as a child. So, you know, uh, that was my uh, first kiss in real life and on TV was with Frankie Munez on Malcolm in the middle. So I forever will know that exact moment in yes. front of my mother and in front of his mother. It was just talk about romance. Everyone. <laughs> <laughs> the sparks were flying. Let's do another flying. take. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Multiple takes. Didn't know what we were doing. So yeah. uncomfortable. Um, yeah, but yeah. lots of fun. That's amazing. How old were you at that point? I think I was like, oh, God, maybe 13, 14, yeah. maybe, maybe 12. You know what? I couldn't, I couldn't tell you, but it was, yeah. I was young. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a heck of a thing to get thrown into. Um, I had my first kiss technically probably on stage as well. Really? Um, I was Billy Bigelow in uh, the musical Carousel. Had to kiss Allison Ray. Local, uh, you know, local hot celebrity, and then in the high Sable high school. Uh, so uh, she planted it on me. I was overwhelmed and and very pleased. Now here's the question: Did she kiss you during the rehearsal? Uh, she did not. She waited for the big moment. Yes. And uh, I suggested that we practice. And that's about the level of game that I had at that point in time. Wow. Uh, we did and not actually, practice, though. If you practiced, I feel like it would have been more, how do you say, it would have been more just casual, right? I feel like yeah. the not practicing is the anticipation. And yes, like it probably looked amazing on stage, but also like, what if you forgot your lines? And what if you didn't know what you were going to talk about? Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, no, 100%. And that all of that could have happened. I do remember being a, a bit of a shock. But you're uh, a professional. And, uh, yeah, so clearly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. What are we talking about here? 17, your boy had it locked up. Uh, locked up. Locked and single, loaded. Good to go. Single. <laughs> Uh, I love this. Alessandra, this show is called Diner Talks with James because I love eating late at night with friends that I don't want to leave over food. We probably shouldn't be eating, but it tastes good. So uh, I'm wondering for you, do you have a late night eating guilty pleasure? Yes. Bob's a big boy. I don't know if you know what Bob's Big Boy is, but that's my all-time diner. Um, I live for a black and white shake with no whipped cream. Mm. Um, I know I'm not a whipped cream person. I love a fry. And you know what I actually just live for? Just a nice butter spaghetti oh, with a okay. fry and a, and a dinner salad that comes with it. Yeah. You know, there's something special about a dinner salad that comes with your meal. It yeah. just makes it that much yummier. Yeah, yeah. What dressing are you going with on your dinner salad? You Italian, know, all- of course. Italian, come on, watch your mouth. Italian. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get a side of French toast, you know, it's just a little bit of sweet and, and salty and, you know, refined, refined palate over here. I'm oh, also I mean- a vegetarian, so it's tricky for me to eat at a diner. So I'm always like, if it's a diner, it's definitely breakfast or a kid's meal. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I love that, you know, some people, when they go to a diner late at night, they're like, am I supposed to do breakfast? Am I supposed to do what am I supposed to do right now? And you're like, yes, that's what I'm supposed to do. So all what's of it. your go-to meal? Uh, I do love, I do love French toast. Um, I do, I'll do a stack of pancakes for sure. Um, I love a grilled cheese with bacon. Um, as uh-huh. well. So uh-huh. uh, and some side of French fries. And I do, I do a little something different. I put my, uh, I put my ketchup and my ranch together sometimes. Oh, ranch. Is what the kids call it. Ooh, interesting. I'm not a ranch person, but I will tell my best friend he is a ranch person. He is a ranch connoisseur. Okay. So I will let him know. Go insulted then. We'll find out. <laughs> I grew up growing up in New York, ranch wasn't a, it was a salad dressing, but that was about it. Now that I live in the Midwest, I've realized it's actually a religion. Um <laughs> oh, they love ranch, huh? Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. That's yeah, everywhere. It's everywhere. <clears throat> really? Yep. Oh my God. And there's all these types of ranch. It's not just like craft. There's all these like you know, restaurants are known for making their own homemade ranches. It's very, yeah. It's May a whole I thing. ask a question? What is in ranch? Yeah. Great question. Don't know. Don't know. I don't know. I've never made it myself. And, and there's oh. got to be some garlic in there. I don't know. I don't know if it's, I don't think it's a mayo base. Is it sour cream? Tangy. You know, there's like a punch to ranch. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We'll have to learn together. If only we had a device that could teach us. If only we had Google. (laughs) Somebody will invent it one of these days. Maybe. Fingers crossed. I love it. So you grew up in Cali. What part of Cali did you grow up in? I grew up um, up north in the Bay Area. Um, I was born at Stanford University, so up there. Um, And then I moved to L.A. when I was about between like 9 to 11. We would go back and forth for pilot season and for whenever I had to shoot a show. Um, And then we officially like moved, moved to L.A. when I was like 11, 12. So this is home to me. Um, But I'm also just such a California girl. I couldn't imagine being anywhere else. I'm a California girl that doesn't lay out in the sun and suntan. So I don't know how California I am, um, but I sound California-ish. Can you rollerblade? No. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. That's fine. No. No. I mean, I'm sure I can. I've done it. Um, one time I lied for an audition and said that I could be ice. I was an ice skater and I was the choice for the movie as an actress. And then they said, okay, we're going to do the ice skating part. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? That was in there. <laughs> so I bought ice skates. I got a professional coach and I like took two lessons. I showed up to the rink and I thought it was going to be a bunch of actresses who like kind of knew how to skate, like not really. Um, and there were people doing triple axles and all this stuff and I put on my skates and I skated out and I was like I can't do this and I turned around and I went up to the director and I was like it was really nice meeting you I wish you the best of luck with this if you want like an actress who can like have a great amazing stunt double that can do this awesome if you don't want that I'm not your girl and I really wish you the best of luck so I didn't get it Way to know your limits. Way to know your There's a lesson limits. in there. There's a I lesson in there. I looked like a skater. <laughs> I certainly dressed the part. I can tell you that much. But, yeah. uh, you know, I, I tried. It was A for effort. So, <laughs> A for effort. Yeah. You got further than most. We know that. Yes. Uh, yes, yes, for sure. Maybe the, uh, 
the uh, the fact that you grew up in NorCal, moved to SoCal around nine nine ish, you know, somewhere like that. You said you're coming down for pilot season. Was uh, was acting in your blood early, right? We, we read, you know, I read that you did dancing and stuff like that starting at two. Was that, is that something that was in your family? Do you have any uh, families that were interested in the stage or was this kind of like your thing? No, both of my parents were CEOs and CFOs of computer technology companies. So I Great. came out singing and dancing. I was supposed to go to MIT. I was supposed to be an engineer. Um, my you know, where I was supposed to be in life is not where I am right now. I'll tell you that much. Um, but uh, no, you know, I mean, my mom saw me and she just I, I just was constantly singing and dancing all day long in diapers. Like it was as soon as I could move, I was shaking my little butt like that was the thing, you know, and she could never get me to stop moving. And she put me into dance and thought, OK, well, that'll like calm her down and didn't calm me down. And I got bit by the camera bug um, when I had auditioned from dance, uh, from a dance competition uh, to be a host of a kids club. And after that, I was like, this is what I was born to do. Like, how come no one ever told me this? She's like, well, you're nine. So I'm glad you figured it out now, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And they just let me, you know, pursue my dreams and, and kind of just let me take the reign and just take over. But it was not something they wanted. It was not something that they understood. Um, And my mom provided me with the best resources possible, but she did not understand any of it. Like, you know, she she was a a business student who, you know, thought she was going to be a doctor. And then she decided to be the like kick ass businesswoman and went to Anderson School of Business at UCLA and was like top of her class and ran all these computer technology companies. And then she's like, and then this thing comes out of me like where did this come from <laughs> whose child is this <laughs> that's awesome tina and i tina's my wife uh, we recently had a baby as i was telling you just before but uh one of our biggest fears and we don't know if this is true yet because he's only 10 months old is that you know we are both gigantic extroverts love being around people and we like looked Ooh. at each other one day and we're like what if we have an introvert <gasps> oh what do introverts? What do introverts eat? Um, yes. Right? Like, <laughs> is he very quiet? Is can you it, it, see if he's like reserved? I feel so far. I think he's doing well. Daycare is helping, right? We're kind of like um, get around people, um, and yeah. so yeah, he responds well. But we also heard that he plays very well independently, um, and uh, so so it'll be very interesting to see what happens. But it could be a learning moment for oh sure. Oh my gosh! How did you? How did you like when you had your baby? Did you come up with your name? Like I don't know that your son's name, and you don't have to say it if you don't share it. But like, was there? I'm always so curious, like the process, like of people's names. My friends. The reason why I say this, this just happened to me. My friends showed me there's this like Tinder thing yeah. where it's a name matching game. Have you heard of this? I have not. Where, no. Okay. So you swipe like, like say you, right. You're going to swipe which names you like. Then your wife is going to swipe which names she likes. And the devices connect together and say, oh, these are the ones that you landed on that are exactly the same. And I was like, this is so crazy. It's Tinder for babies. Like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> At the same time, also, also kind of brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. But I was like, what? How did you come up with a name? I am yeah. always so curious now. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. So we both have middle names that we're both very proud of. Um, her middle name is uh, is one that has carried on. Um, and then mine is my mom's maiden name. And my middle name also, I was named after my grandfather. Um, so, um, <clears throat> so yeah, but uh, so we knew that a middle name was good. We kind of, the middle names were decided early um, because uh, that was just so kind of what it was. two middle names. So he has one middle name, one middle oh. name. But we're like, if we have a boy, it'll be this. If we have a girl, it'll be this. Ah, gotcha, um, gotcha. And then uh, my son's name is Rome, R-O-A-M. Um, and he's he's that a badass. That is so cool. He's a cool dude, yeah. Rome, he's going to be so cool. <laughs> he, he better be. Uh, but <laughs> so, yeah. And we so we bought this print um, of a buffalo in Winnipeg, uh, Canada, Manitoba. Um, in uh, It was probably a few years ago now we bought this print. It's a really cool line drawing of a buffalo. And inside of it says Rome. And then underneath it, it just says, but always come home. Because both of my wife mm-hmm. travel a lot for work. We're both professional speakers. And so we're constantly, we kind of have a long distance relationship, even though we have the same address. And mm-hmm. um, and so I was walking down the hallway one time after, after my wife was, had gotten pregnant and I looked at this print and I was like, what do you think about the name Rome? I like shouted it down the hallway and she was like, sounds good. And I was like, 
great. And that was it. Dude, that is such a special name. It's cool. Yeah. So his name's Rome. Wow. Taylor, what a powerful name too. Yeah. So God, yeah, what? we'll find out. Yeah, wow. we'll, we'll find out. So he's a cool dude. And we kind of already set ourselves up for failure in that he'll be everywhere. And so yeah. uh, that'll be fine. We'll be everything will be fine. He's gonna roam the world. Exactly. Get out there and explore. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I love it. No, I just thought that this was like the most wild thing I'd ever heard of this like Tinder baby name thing. And I was like, how do people figure out names? Like, I feel like it would be so mm -hmm. difficult. I'm just like overwhelmed thinking about like how people do it. Yeah. This, this conversation just happened this weekend. So it's been fresh on my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever I think about how difficult it is, like that's probably why there's so many Ashleys and so many uh, yeah. Mikes or what. It's like, that's just, let's just stick with this. It it's works. Easy. It'll be fine. Everybody knows it. God. Yeah. And then the, the kid's for, stuck with the name the forever. Like, yeah, what right. if you don't like your name, you know? <laughs> Yep. Oh, anyway, exactly. sorry. Sorry, I'm changing the subject. Valid tangent. Valid tangent. <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah. So, um, so I love this. So you figured out that the stage was for you early on, um, and you're obviously in all these different shows and whatnot, and uh, some high-profile shows, which is really cool. You're you're getting auditions, have an agent, landing all this stuff, and so this has been the goal from the jump. Um, mm -hmm. Was there ever a point where you wavered from the goal? Was there ever a point where you're like, oh shoot, you know, like I'm burnt out from this? Maybe I should, I don't know, go to university, or maybe I should, you know, anything like that? Or was it always like, nope, this is it, I love it? You know, it's interesting. I feel like I never knew what else I would do. I mm -hmm. think that that was kind of my thing. I just I I can't imagine doing anything else because it's all I want to do. Yeah. And I think I was really lucky at such a young age knowing that where I, you know, went to a in quote unquote normal high school. I tried to have a normal middle school, high school experience after being homeschooled. And I actually ended up leaving the middle of my sophomore year um, and got my high school proficiency exam and started doing junior college classes online because I had to go to Australia to shoot a TV show. And my high school at the time wouldn't let me do it. They mm -hmm. were like, choose to see in school or go there. And I was like, mm, a Joel Silver show that's shooting next to the Matrix. Like, ah, I'm good. Like, I think I'm going to go to Australia. Um, and, you know, it was really a hard decision for for my family, right? Because, you know, they all went to college. They all went and got masters and PhDs and all of the stuff. And I was like, I don't want to do that. You know, I, I just, but I think that the support came from my mom because she knew, you know, while I watched my other friends who were in college and were, you know, in the middle of the recession and they couldn't get a job even as an intern. And they were like, well, what are we going to do with their life? We don't know what to do. Well, maybe I guess we'll go get a law degree because it'll kill more time. You know, mm -hmm. I knew what I wanted to do. And I was already doing that. So I think that even though it was really hard for my family, they also were so lucky that I I had that passion and I had that that work inside me that that I, I, I crave working when I'm not working. I'm not happy. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that that's what was really hard about, uh, you know, when I'm on my off days where I'm not, you know, on a set or I'm not auditioning, especially now during times of COVID, that's where my podcast has really saved my life mm. um, because I still feel like I'm creating some sort of art, if you will, something. I'm creating something. There's some something creative going on that I'm able to give out and gift to the universe. Whether people like it or not, I still feel like I'm providing something for someone yeah. that maybe one person in the world is going to react to, you know, from my guest or my own personal story or something, you know? Um, yeah. And I think that that's what's really important is, is being able to find that balance. But honestly, like, I don't know what else I would do. Like I always, I, I want to be a director eventually, like, and, and, and do that. That's great. You know, and I, I love being a host. I'm going back to what I first originally did. Um, but I can't imagine not being in the business, if you will. Like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not trying to like go and, you know, I don't know, be a lawyer. It's not yeah, right. 
Like, no, sorry. You know, <laughs> you found your lane. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. And that's cool. I mean, that's awesome. Like what you were talking about earlier about your mom being like, wow, I can't believe you found it this early. That's crazy. At the same time, what a gift, uh, what a gift that just is kind of like, all right, this is where I want to be. And it's not to say that all of a sudden you have this really easy path. It's, it's a hell of a path to choose. Right. Um, and, but like you said, your work ethic has kind of kept you pushing. Yeah. Now you mentioned that you were in uh, a, a traditional middle school, a traditional high school for a, a couple of years and whatnot. I know for me during that time is when I started to feel things, right? There was a little science mm. happening behind the scenes. Um, and, uh, and so for me, that's when I started noticing, I wasn't naming it this, but that's when I started noticing that my mental health was kind of going up and down and all around. Mm. Um, and whether it's because of all the chemicals or just all the peer pressure or all the whatnot, um, I never knew to call it anxiety, which is what I'm now diagnosed with. Um, I did kind of know what, as far as where my age around that time of when I was in middle school and high school is when ADHD was kind of, it was still ADD. Yeah. People were kind of talking about it. Yeah. And no one, there wasn't really a conversation of, are we medicating too many children yet? There weren't many kids that were medicated. I was kind of like right on the, the cusp of that right. almost. And, uh, and so who knows if I would have gotten medicated uh, or not. I don't think my parents would have bought it, but, uh, but still, yeah. um, I know that that, that was a, a, an interesting time for me where I started to realize that I put a lot of pressure on other people's opinions of me and had a lot of anxiety about the way I was seen and yeah. the way I showed up in the world. And that's, that's kind of the way my anxiety manifests itself today, but I didn't know to call it anxiety then or, or, or attention deficit disorder um, or anything like that. I was just like, I'm weird. I'm lonely. And I think people are judging me. No, right. like that, that's what I called it. And so I'm wondering for you, when, you know, in your mental health journey, self-awareness journey, when did, when did you start to notice like, oh, I got some, I got some interesting things going on in here? Yeah. I mean, honestly, from when I was two years old, oh, um, okay. you know, <laughs> I, you know, very young, I, it started when I, you know, everyone labeled it as the terrible twos. Um, but I would bang my head against the wall out of nowhere for no reason. Uh, when I was five years old, I couldn't cross thresholds for some reason. One day I woke up, I was such a perfectionist. I couldn't go from one side of my front door to the other side of my front door because I was afraid if I wasn't better than I was the day before that I would be a failure and I would want to punish myself. Um, so it was easier and safer uh, in the grand scheme of things not to cross that door and go and and continue on with my life. Um, but I think, you know, yeah, I think there's obviously the hormonal changes of middle school and high school where you see things. Um, for me, it was a kind of a flare up of my bipolar disorder when I was about 15. Mm -hmm. uh, I was put on antidepressants because they thought that I was just, you know, sad a lot. Um, not realizing it was actually the mania of those were the low lows um, yeah. and not acknowledging that the high highs were, you know, not great either. But, you know, when someone is, you know, working and, you know, kicking ass and on top of their game and high as a kite, basically, emotionally, you know, um, you, you don't think that that's where the problem is. So that's when I had a, uh, you know, a, 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 you know, a suicide attempt because mm -hmm. I was mismedicated and I was not someone that ever had suicidal ideations. I never thought like that. Um, and it was a mis diagnosis and a mismedication that caused that. Um, and so I think that's why I'm also very vocal about uh, you know, going to a doctor and being sure that, you know, you give all of the information, you write everything down and, and you, you show, you know, Hey, today I was really amazing. Today was really high and I was feeling great about myself um, because they need to see all the highs, all the lows, all the in-betweens because bipolar disorder is so misdiagnosed on a regular basis. And that's what causes a lot of, um, unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of deaths um, because of the mixed medication because it makes your highs higher and your lows lower and it's not that fun. Um, and uh, yeah, so I would say it was when I was 15, but I was properly diagnosed when I was about 21, 22 after working on a show called Caprica. Um, I had my first anxiety attack, panic attack, and I didn't know what it was. And I luckily had a great doctor, but it took an acupuncturist to diagnose me with my bipolar disorder. Um, 
and he was he's acupuncturist to the stars and he was like it's very common what you have surprisingly and i think that you live with bipolar disorder and i think you need to go to a new doctor and ask them if they think this is it and the new doctor was like of course <laughs> it's like what do you mean of course I'm like all the time <laughs> cool bro awesome just been suffering all this time but you know it it, it was it took that I hate the word journey, but it did. It took that whole journey for me to get finally somewhat established of this relief of, oh my God, like there's a name to what I'm feeling. Yeah. Like, whoa, you know, it's a thing, you know, people suffer. Wow. I'm not alone. So that moment of finding it out when you're 22, 23, that was a sense of relief, not a sense of like, oh, oh shoot, God, I, I have so something. Happy. That's yeah. I was so happy because then I finally had a reason to that why I was feeling the way I was feeling and the medication finally gave me the relief that I needed where I wasn't on edge 24 hours a day, you know, yeah. um, and it didn't numb me. It didn't make me not feel my feels. Uh, I still feel all my feels, but I am able to balance my life and, and have the order and the sanity of not having to worry if the mania is going to come out of nowhere one day. Mm. Um, and I still do, you know, have manic episodes and I still do have panic attacks and that's never going to go away, but it's to the extreme that it was, it will never be that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It makes the the highs a little less high and the lows a little less yeah. low. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. That's the beauty of medication right there. Were you in the beginning it, when, when you were kind of going through what you thought was just depression, um, were you open about that? Or was that something you were very private about? Like, I think, I think right now in the world with, uh, this is one of the good things that's come from social media, even though sometimes it's causing a lot of it also. Um, but, but the fact that we're so open about mental health, right? the fact that you have an emotional support podcast um, is yeah. really beautiful. Um, and people are more open with what they're going through. Um, during the time that you kind of had that depression, is that something that you were talking about with others or something that you were just trying to like bury down and kind of keep your head down and let's keep it moving? Or what, what was your relationship with you it? You know, like? I don't know. I, I wish I had the answer to that. I don't remember a lot of my life from 15 to 22. I remember being on sets. I remember working. I remember certain things in my life. I don't remember certain relationships I was in. I don't remember certain friendships. I don't remember feelings because you know, that's one of the, the, you know, side effects of living with bipolar disorder, as I'm sure many other mental illnesses that I'm not, you know, familiar with, I'm only familiar with mine, where, you know, you have blackout moments. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't even know why I started to be on medication. I don't even know. I just remember a like knowing like something was wrong. Yeah, yeah. But I could never say, you know, but I was not someone that was open and was like, oh, my God. But it was more just the the help of my mother who saw someone that couldn't leave bed for three days and then saw someone that would not sleep for three days straight and literally would drive back and forth all day long and all night long because I could not sleep. Um, I could go days without sleeping and that's not normal, you know, at all. And that's a big sign of someone living with bipolar disorder in a manic episode. Um, But these were things that we didn't know, you know, at the time. So I don't really remember, you know, a particular moment of like, did I have these conversations? I don't think I ever did because it mm. never was something that was ever would have even been a topic of conversation and not out of embarrassment. Like I was never embarrassed about it. Um, but I, I, I just don't remember any of that. I think I got more embarrassed as I got older of not knowing when to share it with certain people and how to then do it. I, Cause when I was young, I, I had no filter. I just kind of didn't Give a shit about anything. <laughs> yeah, there's a beauty to that for sure. <laughs> but yeah, but I love that you have obviously found the courage and found the strength in talking about it. But you're right, as an adult and as someone who's trying to get their life or make it seem like their life is okay or put together or that, you know, they get their shit together, all that kind of stuff. Like it's tough to sometimes like spout at the mouth about some of these right. kinds of things. Or when you do, it's it's the risk, the reward, or you know, potential reward, but often a lot of risk of like, what are you going to think about me? Right. Um, and uh, when did you start developing the courage to actually start talking about it? 
You know, I think I started talking about it right when I got diagnosed because I was so happy that I had been finally diagnosed and and that I had some sort of sense of relief. Um, and I and I wasn't open with it in, in the grand scheme of things, but you know, yeah. my family knew and and um, you know, my close friends knew, and that conversation was always happening. Um, but you know, I feel like I didn't really get confident, confident until finally I said, I don't know if you swear on this podcast. So I'm just going to get it on. No, do it. Please I'm do. Say like, fuck this. Like I'm over and I'm going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, a couple of years ago, I had, I, I had talked about it here and there on, on certain social media posts. And I had met, um, the, why can't I speak the, the heads of, of NAMI, the national Alliance on mental illness. Mm. And I had come to them from an, a mutual friend and, and shared my story. And they said, you know, if you ever need any resources, here are some resources. They gave me a bunch of resources. They saved my life. Um, and so I, I felt, you know, I, I wanted to share here and there little stories about yeah. me living with bipolar disorder. And I was at a conference in London uh, for a, a show that I was on and no one really wanted me to be there because I wasn't the main star and it, mm-hmm. whatever. Long story short, um, it was supposed to be a one hour chat of, of people asking me questions in a Q&A of, you know, 500 to 2000 people and no one showed up, but maybe 30, yeah. maybe 20. And they had two questions. And after that, no one said anything. So I raised my hand and I said, hi, I'm Alessandra and I live with bipolar disorder. Does anyone want to talk uh, about mental health? And it was that conversation where um, multiple people then started coming in the room and then hundreds started coming through because people would go outside and go, she's talking about mental health. Who's got a question? Um, And, you know, uh, I had people that came up to me and I had uh, one particular woman who changed my life and she showed me her arms and it was all her scars of her self-harm. And she said, I didn't know that people on TV understood how brains could be broken, like how you, you could, you know, feel so lost and so alone. And while I never did the in quote unquote self harm, I understood that because I self harm myself, you know, by mentally abusing myself over and over, um, uh, and living in shame. And so after that, I kind of was like, I don't give a shit anymore. Like this needs to be talked about because this is saving lives. My one conversation and these people saved my life because I thought I was alone. And so to know that you weren't alone. So, you know, it took me, you know, what I'm 34 now. It took me about, you know, 30 years to finally speak my truth because a lot of, you know, relationships that I was in when I would be open about it, they would do things wrong, but it was because I was bipolar that that's why they cheated. <laughs> that that's why I was the crazy one. And I was this, you know, yeah, so it was held against the story me. Wrote. So much. Yeah. Yeah. So it was held against me so much that I did. I, I eventually like, you know, when I met my husband, the second sentence out of my mouth was, by the way, I live with bipolar disorder, so you can either deal with it or not. And he was like, okay, cool. Like, and what, you know, <laughs> so, you know, that's um, all. <laughs> yeah. And, and he's like, eh, we got a lot of other issues. Um, but you know, it was so cool because it was the first time that someone didn't hold it against me in, in the future. Um, so yeah, I, I think that yeah. I always like to say, and I always force people, you know, I say this, I always, I'm like, please do this. Don't share your story until you're ready mm-hmm. because you need to know that your story will change someone's life. Like absolutely without a doubt, whether you know it or not, you're going to change someone's life and you have to be ready for, you know, you open that floodgate and you have to be ready for people to come and ask questions and want to know information. And it gets overwhelming, you know, but you have to know, you have to be so ready to have the conversation and ready to, to help others out. Um, because when you do share your story, the importance of a story is so much more important than someone just like, like stating facts about, you know, mental health, you know, awareness, like God, the, the hearing Carrie Fisher's story and how she and I lived with the same disorder. It was mm-hmm. like the only person in the world I'd ever known that lived with bipolar disorder at the time. And I was like, Oh my God, I feel heard. And yeah. like, I never met her and she never knew that, but like, she literally changed my life, you know, and there's, that's the importance of a story. Yes. What a crazy moment to be over in London, two questions, then a bunch of crickets, 
yeah. and, and British crickets at that, the worst. <laughs> um, but but still, to then have this moment of like, hey, I have bipolar disorder. Does anybody want to talk? What a what a crazy moment. What a beautiful way to fill a silence also. Well, um, it was also not planned way. and very yeah. uncomfortable, and I just didn't know what else to say. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, for sure. But what a what a cool crucible moment for you. Um, in that all of a sudden you're like, oh shit, look at all these people coming in. This matters and like, and I know you knew it mattered, but just to the extent, it's like yeah, it's that thing of like, you know, if Carrie Fisher knew that your story meant so much to her, like, you know, who else would she have told it to? You know, and that, right. that moment where you got to physically watch people be impacted and intrigued um, yep. by a topic that is so shoved under covers um, and, and under the dirt was uh, what a, what a cool moment. Yeah, it was really special. And it, and, and that's just one of a million moments that have happened since, you know, I've shared my story. And the best part of that convention was I still am in contact with, you know, so many of the people that were there that, that, you know, listened to my story and shared their own stories. Um, and they follow along on the journey and they support by buying the sweatshirts that, you know, donate yes. money and subscribe and they write the reviews. And like, it's just wild to see how much so much has changed, you know, for since two and a half years, you know, it's mm -hmm. just, it's, Bananas. Absolutely bananas. Uh, yeah. And so cool. You know, it, you, something else you talked about that was, that was interesting to me was that the, the fact that you said you told your, you had told your husband, you know, second date or second sentence, whichever it yeah, was, second, um, sentence, yeah. second sentence, by Perfect. the way, I live with bipolar disorder. <laughs> um, you know, do with that what you may. Um, before that you were writing these stories that were then validated by the actions of partners that didn't give a shit about you. Right. And cheated on you and, and, and took advantage of you at, or, or whatever. Um, and being around situations that validate the stories that we write in our heads is really dark. Um, mm -hmm. And we can always look for that validation um, if we want to. It's always going to be there, right? We can do a Google search that'll validate us. We can like WebMD is a disgusting and terrible place sometimes, yeah. right? Like you can find out how quickly you're going to die because of your mole. Um, yeah. And so, uh, but it's so that, that same idea sometimes applies here And that, you know, I think about the stories that, that I wrote about myself that I'm, you know, that I'm not good enough. I'm not funny enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not hot enough. I'm not thin enough. I'm not whatever enough. Um, and, and these stories that we write, uh, to then have a moment where you just kind of put it out there to the person that you hope might be intrigued by you of like, this is where I'm at. Right. That's a, do you think that that moment was done out of confidence of you stepping into who you are and being like, this is me. And you either want me like this or you don't want me at all. To, to or was it, or, yeah, or yeah, to, to your husband, husband. Yeah. Yeah, to your husband, or was it out of uh, like, let me just get this out of the way so you can not, I don't have to stick around for you to break my heart. You know, I think I was, I, I was just exhausted at that point of yeah. having to share that story and waiting, you know, how long do you wait before you tell someone, you know, what you live with? How long do you, do you wait till you share this secret? Like, you know, I, I kind of, I was just over it. I'd been single for about a year and a half and I loved being single because I didn't have to answer to anybody and I didn't have to worry. And, and, you know, Oh, is someone, you know, chatting with someone else? Like, you know, where did they go? You know, there were all these insecurities. Finally, I was just like, you know, if I'm going to do this, like, I'd rather you just know now because I'm just like over having that conversation. Yeah. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. Let me protect myself from it. Let me get it out here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 It's one of the things that I admire the most about you, Alessandra, is, and this is something that we, like, we kind of came up because we were in a few clubhouse rooms together. Um, and, and this is something that I also asked a mutual friend of ours, Ross Zabo, um, is that your ability to use humor to talk about mental health yes. is powerful um, oh, and cool. necessary. It's, it's, it's cool. It's, I think it's super necessary. Um, and because at some point, I mean, we both know this, if you're not laughing, you're crying. Yep. Um, right. And so, uh, yep. so we have to figure out a way to laugh about some of this stuff, but not everybody is ready to laugh or not everybody's like this. You kind of need to, sometimes you need to warm it up a little bit before you throw the steak on the fire. Um, and so warm yep. the cast iron up, but I'm wondering 
when what was your journey to journey might be too strong of a word when did you realize that like yo we need to laugh about this and people are ready to laugh about this oh i don't think that people even are i don't even know if they are i have to be truly honest like for me i have been i my idol growing up was jim carrey mm -hmm. um and you know chris farley those were my two you know it, which too. is so strange you're like who is this little peanut girl that's like obsessed with these guys and like i was not the girl like it's so funny someone said in an interview one time they were like oh we heard you know your idols were like claire danes and kate winslet i'm like i probably said that to sound like a really cool like sophisticated actress but like <laughs> truthfully like I would stay up as late as I possibly could. And I would make my mom record SNL every single night, ever since I could start talking. Yeah. And even when I couldn't talk, I would imitate Farley. I would imitate Chevy Chase, like all of these guys. That was what I looked to was humor. And um, there was an interview that Jim Carrey did with Howard Stern. And he said that he would throw himself down the stairs just to get a laugh from his dad and his friends. And I was mm. like, I literally did that one time. And I was like, that is so crazy that I, that I did that. I just wanted to make people laugh since I was a kid, whatever inappropriateness that would be. I would moon people all the time. Yeah. I was just that, that kid. Um, and so for me, humor was the only thing that got me through my life. So I don't know anything different. You know, when I'm uncomfortable, I try to make someone laugh. It's just my way of coping. So I think that the, fact that, you know, my podcast, you know, on emotional support that I'm trying to be funny. It's not even trying. It's just like, that's just how I get people to feel comfortable because that's how I've always trained myself as a kid to get people to like me and get people mm -hmm. to feel comfortable is just through comedy because it's the only thing that gets me comfortable. Yeah. It's funny. Humor is such as humor is both a way uh, to escape and a yeah. way to be present. Yeah. It's yeah, fascinating totally. the way. Yeah. It's fascinating and I the way. Think it that a lot of people don't get it. And a lot of people don't take me seriously because of it, but I'm not trying to be serious. I'm not trying to be a doctor. I'm not trying to force it to be funny. It's like, you know, there's an episode people will come on and we'll be crying one second and the next we'll be laughing. And that's just because that's who I am. I, 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 strive on being my true, genuine, authentic self. And I want to make this funny and bring levity to a situation that that that's not light um, and is not, you know, uh, something that people joke about all the time. And some people are offended by that. And that's fine. Like, whatever, then it's not for you. But my show is not for everybody. And I don't expect it to be for everybody. You know, I, yeah. I'm, I'm not. Um, and, you know, if you want just true conversations and you want real stories, you know, and, and sometimes you laugh about the, the stupid shit that you did that you can't even believe, you know, you have to laugh about it now. Otherwise it's like, what's the point of living? Like we need to laugh. Life is what is so important, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah laughter is a sign of resilience. Right. Mm -hmm. Your ability yeah. to look into a moment and be like, yeah, that happened to me. Yeah. Those are my thoughts. Yeah. That was, you know, how that all went down. Uh, and I can now look back and laugh on it. It's, it yeah. shows that it has been coped with. It shows yep. that it is ready to be spoken about. Like you were talking about earlier. Don't just start, you know, spouting at the mouth just because something just happened to you. Right. You got to, you got to process it. You got to own it. You got to think about how it sits in your body. And then, yes. then you talk about it yes. um, with someone other than a counselor. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, exactly. you know, but yeah, and, but and, yes. and I'm not trying to be a professional and I'm, and, and that's the other thing with my show is like when, when people are on emotional support, I like people to know I'm not a professional. I'm not trying to get to the bottom of everything. I just want to hear your story because that's how I do my own healing is through hearing other people's stories. And so mm -hmm. if you want fun story time, like come my way.
Yeah, right. <laughs> and it's not like you leave people flailing, right? Like, I mean, if you go to the your website and stuff like that, there are resources, there are places where people can there go. Are so, resources. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's not like you're like, all right, let me bring you down bring into the-, the professionals. You know <laughs> right, what I mean? Yeah. Because like I bring the professionals on so they can tell me. And, and you know, kind of my favorite part of my show um, is I have a segment that I do about once a month called Beauty in the Brain. And I do it with my friend David Haggerty, who's a neuroscientist. And we answer fan questions and listener questions. Um, we do it, you know, from the brain point of view and from the beauty point of view of the stupidity of the ridiculousness, you know, um, but it's, it's, you know, this episode that just got released, it's so fascinating because it's called how to reach out for help, right? You don't think about like, how do you reach out for help? It's so simple. You literally Google what university is near you and you look up their mental health, you know, facility through the university, through the government. And there's a list of information of how you can find places where you can go, resources, websites, doctors, all this information. And David like does it in such a unique, like genuine, relaxed, chill way of hey, it's super, super easy and convenient. Like, let's try to make this as easy as possible for all of us. Yeah. 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 Who was that for you as you were kind of, uh, you know, whether it was, whether it was around 22, 23, when you officially got diagnosed correctly, or maybe it was a little bit later, maybe even earlier, but who was that person? Your, who was that David for you that, that kind of really made you, uh, made you see like, okay, I, I'm, I'm going to be okay. I'm doing, I'm on the right track. Like, you know, was there someone like that, you know, for you, or maybe it was oh, Carrie Fisher. <laughs> it was, Yeah. It was like Carrie Fisher. It yeah. was, you know, finding my comedians who, who lived through darkness um, and uh, finding it that way. I didn't find my tribe, if you will, my bipolar tribe um, until uh, just a few years ago, um, uh, literally maybe two years ago. So it's a very new thing for me. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> that's awesome. And and that's the beauty of what, of what you are now building is that people can feel caught earlier than you did. Right. Yeah. Like, like you're, we're catching people earlier so that they're not falling as, as dark as they could. Yeah. Let's just um, have the conversation. Let's yeah. normalize it. You know, let's just try <laughs> to like be cool about it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So for you, uh, this is my last question for you. <clears throat> um, for you, as you are navigating this new role of yes, you are still a badass actor. Just you know, I had a movie a movie come out uh, yesterday. You said what's yeah. the name of the movie? It's called Women is Losers. Women is Losers. Seems like it'd be improper English, and a lot of people are pissed about it. But I was like, well, well I didn't, I didn't do the the title, but the title is actually a Janis Joplin song called Women is Losers. So okay. you'll understand when you watch the movie. Love it. Oh, bum, bum, bum. Uh, <laughs> uh, it doesn't help that they also spelt your name wrong, though. So that doesn't really help the fact they got the grammar right or not. Um, but either way. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I mean, like you're still you're still on set. You're still putting work out. But you also have this amazing this amazing podcast, Emotional Support. And it is it's it's cool because you have this new newfound calling of the role that you play in people's lives. Yeah. It's not changing the way that you still show up on set or the fact that oh. you want to be on set. Like you said, you want to do some directorial work yep. in the future as well. And so my question for you is that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people find something that matters to them mm. and, and it's like, all right, well, how do I change everything? And then all of a sudden do that thing. And, but like, you don't have to, you could be a both and you could be a right. yes. And, and yep. so for you, I'm just curious if you have any thoughts for individuals that are potentially like, I'm really passionate about this, but I'm in a career doing something other than this. You know, what, what are your thoughts about, you know, ways to incorporate some of that passion into people's lives so that they truly can impact the people that they want to impact while at the same time, getting some joy of doing a job that they care about. You know, I don't really like the word hobby because a hobby makes it seem like it's, it's childish and kind of just like, Oh, it's cute. You do that. It's a hobby, yeah. but I, but, but take an in quote out of quote hobby and make that into your passion project. And even if it's something so simple as, as you know, painting, 
right? If that brings you emotional support and that brings you a sense of escapism in the best way possible to get out of that, that mindset, you know, yeah, you may have to work at a bank at your nine to five, Mm -hmm. but give yourself an hour, give yourself an hour a week, whatever, however much time you possibly can to doing something that, that releases that energy that allows you to get in touch with yourself, to find that creative passion. I think there's something very important about creativity. Um, I think mathematics is creative. So it's not like, oh, artsy fartsy stuff. It's like, no, 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 no. Like I was a math whiz. That's, that was my favorite thing to do. I I struggled in English and history and I Mm -hmm. thrived in math and science. So whatever it is that you do that you want to do as your job, whether it's, I don't know, photography, working on cars, whatever it is, find an hour of your week to fully dedicate yourself to that, um, to just release a part of your brain. Um, give yourself a break, give yourself that mental health break that you really need. Um, And you never know. I mean, when you put in the work into something that you love, the universe, it it gifts you in a very unique, special way. I mean, I never thought this podcast would be heard by five people. Honestly, I, I truly am telling you that because I was like, who cares to listen about mental health stuff? Like I'm just kind of selfishly doing it for myself, but it brought more change and more, more opportunities than I ever in a million years could have thought. So when you put in that effort to something that you love, you never know what the universe is going to gift you. Yeah. But that's the beauty. That's the beauty of commitment, right? It's yeah. like, are you going to come, are you going to commit to it? Or are you just going to comment about it? Is it going to be something yep. you're always going to talk about doing or what is actually, what is diving into it look like? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Alessandra, I cannot thank you enough for the work that you do in the world, my friend. Uh, I appreciate you. Uh, You know, the gift that you are uh, on set and on screen. uh, And but also, I don't know, just realizing that you have a gift of creating a space where people can talk about things that they're not supposed to talk about, according to a lot of pride in society and, and different cultures and whatnot. It's really special. No, I really appreciate that. And I just love what you're doing. I love this diner talks. I can't wait to come on again. Next time, let's both do it with me and Ross. And we can have like a like a triple diner conversation. Let's go. We'll get into some deep stories too. Uh, <laughs> I, love it. I love it. I love it, friend. I love it. Thank you so much for coming on. Y'all, that was my time with Alessandra. Alessandra, excuse me, Zandra. Put a Z in there because it's fancy. Alessandra Torresani, uh, incredible human being, uh, running an awesome podcast called the Emotional Support Pod uh, a podcast. Free, feel free to check it out. You can go to emotionalsupportpod.com. Uh, it's, on, it's on all the platforms and whatnot. And I love that she's creating this space where we can also laugh while we learn, laugh while we grieve, laugh while we grow. That matters. Uh, You are deserving of levity from what you are going through from time to time. Uh, Life is too serious not to laugh at it. I'm just grateful that she spent some time with me here in the diner. Hope y'all got something out of this one. We're going to catch you next week. Y'all take care. And until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. You all take care. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Diner Talks with James. It was so much fun getting to hang out with you and finish our milkshakes in that squeaky red leather booth. (laughs) If you do me a favor and smash that subscribe button, that would be dope. And also, if you could leave a review on iTunes, well, come on now, you're going to make me blush. (laughs) Also, if you want to be a part of the action, we record these live on YouTube Live every Wednesday night at 9 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Go to YouTube and type in James T. Robo and smash that red subscribe button so you know when we go live next. Also, while we're on the subject, I'm James T. Robo all over the internet. I post meaningful content on Instagram, witty content on Twitter. Let's get connected in some other places, folks. And as always, if you're interested in learning more about the guest tonight, please check out the show notes. My friends, until next time, keep punching small talk in the face by asking better questions. Y'all take care.